So um, I said last week that we had some exciting announcements. And in a moment, I'm going to tell you what that announcement is. But let me just little retrace a bit of the history of this church. We were a church plant four years ago. We, a group of people started this church, a little group of people, and it's been growing since then. And we obviously had lockdown and COVID, but we're sort of beginning to come back, which is really exciting. And our vision is, along with all the other churches in the network, is to play our part uh, with all the other churches, actually, in, in all the different networks, the different streams, the different denominations, in three things. The evangelization of the nation, which means giving people an opportunity to hear about Jesus, who've never heard. Uh, secondly, is the revitalization of the church. So turning, this was an old church with nothing, there was, there was offices in here, there was no church. Turning it back into a church, that's revitalization. And thirdly, the transformation of society. So having an impact on those who are most at the margins, uh, most disadvantaged in our society. And, and we saw a little bit of a flavor in that video of, of what we've been doing a little bit of and what lots of churches around the country have been doing. And the revitalization part is really key because every place where there is a church, there's an opportunity. There's a bigger opportunity for people to go and hear about Jesus. There's a bigger opportunity for people's needs to be met in their locality, in their community. So we're passionate about planting churches. We were planted and we've always had the dream in mind since we've been planted to plant a church. And the exciting news today is that this year we're going to plant our first church. So Andy and Katie, why don't you come up? Andy and Katie, come right to the front, come up to the front. We are, well, you guys have been with us from the very beginning, and uh, we're so grateful for all that you've given here. But tell us a little bit about the plans, what's going to happen. Yeah, um, so hi, uh, exciting stuff. So we are hoping to plant, well, we are planting in, um, in Filton, in North Bristol. So I don't know how much of you sort of know North Bristol, but um, it's sort of, Bristol is really expanding outward and um, there's a lot of new development going on up there. So um, it's home of Filton Airfield where, um, where sort of all these planes are built, where the Concorde was built and um, they're now turning that airfield into a new community uh, called Brabazon. There's going to be around 9,000 new homes, over 25,000 new people moving to the area, a 17,000-seater arena, um, schools, shops all sorts of things. It's going to be super exciting. There's also Charlton Hayes community up there, which is about 10 years old. So it's all very new and exciting. And um, yeah, that's where we're hoping to plant a church and meet, meet that community as it comes in. So. Fantastic. And tell us a bit about the vision. What's, what's your vision uh, for this church, Andy? Well, um, you might have noticed that we're calling the church Concord Church. And um, as Katie mentioned, it's where the Concord was built, so the plain. And we're really inspired by the plain because it, uh, it's something that the sort of area and, and the people around Bristol, we're really proud of. It's a real heritage of pioneering, of sort of innovation. Um, and so we really feel like that kind of is, is something that we want to do. We want to pioneer a new church. Um, but Concord actually has a really, a really sort of profound meaning that I love. And uh, it's got a special place in, in the sort of Anglican church. There's a prayer in the Book of Common Prayer. 
prayer uh, called the Collect for Peace, um, in which uh, God is described as the author of peace and the lover of concord. And concord uh, doesn't mean the plane in that instance. Um, it, means, it means harmony. It means symphony. Uh, it means sort of agreement around a common, a common good, a common thing. And, uh, and we know that, that that concord is in Jesus. And I'm really excited with all these different developments that are growing, these different areas across Filton, um, that actually God is doing stuff in all of these individual areas that are diverse and different and have lots of different people there. But there's a sort of concord, there's a harmony where they come together and we feel that as a church, we can gather all of those people to, to worship God and to, uh, to bring unity in him. Um, so that's our vision. We'll also be, obviously, we'll be playing our part in the evangelization of the nation, the revitalization of the church, the transformation of society. Um, and that looks different in lots of different ways. We're, we're planted from St. Nick, so we've got the same vision, but we've got a slightly different mission. Where we're going means that the mission will look a little bit different to a city center church plan. Um, but we've, we've so far, there's loads of, loads of things already going on we want to join in with. And there's some amazing Hong Kongers who have moved to the, to the area, um, so we'll be welcoming them. Um, there's also, we'll be trying to get involved in lots of the sort of social action projects with lots of the neighboring uh, sort of areas and villages as well. So uh, we're really, really excited. Um, yeah, we, we hope, we can't wait to get involved. Mm. And how do we, how do people, other people get involved? If they're interested in finding out more, um, what should they do? Uh, yeah, so yeah, we'd love people to get involved. Um, so the first thing is, so to find out more about what's going on, you can um, you can sign up for email notifications. So you can go to stnicholasbristolorg forward slash concord. And um, yeah, and you'll get notified of what's going on. Obviously, we'll talk about it in church as well. But yeah, that's, you know, if you want to be the first to know um, how things are going with the church plant. Um, then second thing is we're going to be holding some exploration days. So you can come along and see if it's for you or just support sort of what's going on, celebrate with us. And yeah, have a feel, see if, see if actually God is calling you um, up to Filton. And, um, and yeah, the final thing obviously is to pray for us and for the church plant um, and just, yeah, support, support the work through prayer. Fantastic. And you're launching in September. So Yes, sorry, we're launching in September. <laughs> um how, how can we how can we pray for you? What are the things that we can pray for? Um well, I mean, we're, so we're launching in September, but we're sort of, we're gathering team from now. So the first thing I'd love, love you to pray for is, is the right people, that God would call the right people um, to come with us and to form a team over the summer as we, as we prepare to plant. Um, the second thing is uh, sort of all the practicalities. Um, there's little bits and bobs that, of logistics that need to happen. We're still sort of finalizing exactly where we're going to meet. So there's some practicalities you can pray for. And then the third thing is just pray for the mission. Pray for Filton. Pray for all the people. The reason we want to start a church there is not because we want to gather a load of Christians it's because we want to tell people about Jesus so we want people to, to the people who've never would be seen you know it's never be seen dead in a church we want them to come and to, to figure out what uh, to listen to and hear what God um, is doing in their own lives and hear what uh, that God loves them and so pray for pray for the people of Filton pray for for those who would never step foot in a church and um, that they would be excited and would think oh I'll come check it out Fantastic. Should we pray now? Why don't we just um, pray? If you wouldn't mind closing your eyes, bow your heads. We're just going to pray for these guys. Lord, thank you so much for your mission. Thank you that you are on mission to reach people with the good news that you love them. Thank you for what Andy and Katie are prepared to do, to step out, to offer themselves 
to go on this adventure. And we, Lord, we pray for them. We pray for your protection on them, blessing on them as a family. Uh, Lord, we pray for people uh, that you're calling to go. We pray for the practicalities, the building, all that stuff. And we also pray for those people who live in that area, those 25,000 new people who are going to be living in, in, that, in those new developments. Lord, would you meet them where they are and welcome them home. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, guys. So, uh, that's super exciting for us. It's part of the vision. But as you know, the vision here at Cynix is uh, to do all the things that we've been uh, talking about in terms of uh, alpha, um, social transformation, all that sort of stuff. And um, today, we're going to have an opportunity to respond. And um, as you may have noticed, you've got a little, um, little envelope on your seats, and we'll come to that later on. But there's an opportunity for us to respond in different ways today. Um, and one of them is to give. And uh, I want to tell you a little bit about what we're trying to, what we're trying to do, how we want to, to, to do things. Um, I, I am so grateful for this church. You are the most generous uh, church. You're incredible. The way that you give uh, in terms of your time to serve, to help, uh, but also financially, you're amazing the way that you give. And um, at the moment, uh, I think there's a hundred, I was uh, tossing up 195 people give regularly by standing order, which is amazing. That's the most helpful way of giving. It helps us to plan our giving. And uh, the average is 130 pounds a month. Some give a lot more some give a lot less. It doesn't really matter the amount. For me, it's amazing. There are 195 people uh, who are doing that. And you doing that has enabled all that we have been doing in the last um, six months since the last gift day. And um, we made a little video. Uh, you may see some, so, a couple of shots that you might have noticed before. But this is basically just to encourage you for what has happened. in the, This is in the last six months of what's been going on here at St. Nick. So check out uh, this little video. Just as some of the highlights there. The last gift day we had, we wanted to raise 20, uh, two gift days ago, we wanted to raise £21,000 to do uh, Love Your Neighbour here in Bristol to help those who are most vulnerable, affected by the pandemic. You guys raised more than 21000 You raised £23,000, which was match funded, which is amazing. The last gift day, we wanted to raise £20,000 again for uh, Baldwin Street. We had no SU kids work. You guys raised £20,000 again, which is fantastic. And uh, we were able to do 1,000 bags of kindness delivered to all the different church, uh, different uh, homeless projects in the area, schools, uh, the, um, uh, those working with vulnerable adults, all that sort of stuff is thanks to you guys. So I wanted to say a huge thank you. Um, but uh, we don't want to just stop there. 
because there's so much more that we need to do. And there's so much more that I'm excited about what God is calling us to do in this next uh, year. And what I'd love us to do in the next six months, what I'd love to do, and this is what I feel God is calling us to do, is to raise our monthly giving by two and a half thousand pounds a month uh, in order to expand the work of what is going on here. Can you imagine if we were able to double what we're doing currently? Uh, that's what we'd love to do. So just to give you a, a little flavor, that's uh, if, if um, all those who are already giving a regular month increase their giving by 10%, we'll get there straight away in one go. If everyone here, uh, if, if 20 new people decide to give the average of 130 pounds a month, we'll get there straight away. It's probably going to be a minimum mixture of that. But wouldn't that be exciting for us to see that happen? And uh, on top of that, this is just, this is just the beginning. Uh, on top of that, um, this church plant is going to, but it's, we could say to Andy and Katie, right, well, thank you for all you've done here. And, you know, good luck. See you sometime. See how you get on and, and give them nothing. But actually, that's not the way of the kingdom, isn't it? We received, when we planted this church, 50,000 pounds. Incredibly generous from HTB, the church we were planted from. Wouldn't it be great if we could give 50,000 pounds to Andy and Katie so that they could, we could do the same? Just as we've been blessed, why don't we bless them? So that's what we're, we're seeking to do uh, over the next uh, few months. So uh, what I'd love to do is to talk to you today uh, from a little passage which you may know quite well, but it's Mark chapter 6. Uh, it's the feeding of the 5,000. Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 44. So if you've got a Bible and you want to follow along, uh, you may want to follow it on your phone, or if you've got a Bible with you, please feel free to follow along, uh, or you can watch it on the screens. It's there on the screen. So here we go. Mark chapter 6, verse 30 to 44. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him what they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months wages. Are we to go and spend that much money on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided two fish among them. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. So today I want to speak to you about this. God can do a lot with a little. God can do a lot with a little. A little faith. Maybe you feel like your faith has taken a battering. 
over lockdown, over COVID, maybe even the last few weeks, you're struggling in your faith. Maybe you'd say your faith is just, you're hanging on to your faith. God specializes in taking little things and multiplying them. So he says, for example, that he has a t- it tells a parable about a mustard seed. We had a big clear out of our kitchen the other day, the spice cupboard. Whoever uses those spices, there are about loads of spices and stuff at the back, including these mustard seeds. And Jill was about to throw them up and I said, no, I feel like there's something in the Bible about that. I'll hang on to them. These, can you see how tiny these seeds are? You can barely see them on the end of a finger. If your faith feels as small as a mustard seed, Jesus says, with someone with that smaller faith, you can pray and say to the mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will do it. In other words, great acts of faith can come from people who feel like their faith is really small. Because God takes small faith and multiplies it. Maybe your faith feels small at the moment. Maybe you feel like you've got little talent or little education or little prospect for the future. I'm really heartened by what happens in Acts chapter 6. There's Paul and, uh, sorry, there's Peter and John and they're preaching. And everyone who's listening are amazed at their preaching because they just say, they're so amazed because they describe them as agrammatoi idioti. In other words, illiterate ignoramuses is a nice way of putting it. They're uneducated men. They've never been to school. They're fishermen. How on earth are they able to do this? Because God has taken something little and multiplied it. Your faith may be feeling small. Your talents, your education, your prospects may be feeling small. But God does not think they're small. In fact, he wants to grow them and use them. Maybe little money. Maybe you hear these numbers, 50,000 pounds, you know, two and a half thousand pounds extra a month. What difference will my little amount make? God takes the little and he multiplies it. You might be thinking, I'm a, I'm a student. I haven't got much money or any money. In fact, I'm in debt. I haven't got any money at all. I've got minus money. Uh, You may be thinking that the cost of living is so difficult at the moment. I haven't got very much. But you know what? Jesus, the person he commends for giving, is not someone who gives a lot, but actually an old lady who goes into the temple and puts in one small coin. He says, that woman is blessed because she gave out of the little that she had. She gave generously from the little that she had. And it can be tempting to be overwhelmed, can't it? We look at the Ukraine and think, what difference can I make there? You can look at the challenges in our society, the mental health challenges, the poverty in Bristol, homelessness. You might think, what little difference can I make? And it can be tempting to think, well, I won't even bother. But you know, Jesus loves people who offer something. That's what we're looking at today. Just the little can you imagine how the disciples felt? Did you, did you notice that in the, in the passage? There was a, a bit of a turning point. Jesus has been away with his disciples, solitary time on their own. You know, we've been talking about discipleship, time with Jesus, becoming like Jesus. That's what the disciples are doing. And they must have been loving it. And they got to the other side, looking forward to a bit more of this kind of cozy time with Jesus. And there are 5,000 men. That means 15,000 men, women and children have all come to meet them. They must be gutted. 
their time with Jesus is over. Jesus must have been exhausted. In fact, his cousin has just been beheaded. He must have been grieving terribly. The last thing you want is 15,000 people asking you for some teaching. And yet Jesus' reaction is amazing. It says, Jesus saw them and he had compassion on them because they were sheep, like sheep without a shepherd. If you feel like that, Jesus has compassion on you. If you're struggling, if you feel that your faith is small, your resources are small, Jesus has compassion on you. But even more so, he looks at the city of Bristol and he has compassion on every single person here. Everyone in Filton, everyone in every part of Bristol, he has compassion on them because they're like sheep without a shepherd. And then the disciples say, we've got a problem here. You've been teaching, great teaching Jesus, but it's time to send them home because it's getting late it's going to get dark soon. Why don't you send them back to get some food? And Jesus says this interesting thing in verse 37. He says, no, you feed them. Disciples begin, what do you mean you feed them? What do you mean? What with? I mean, this is ridiculous. We're my, you know, the nearest village is 20 miles away. The nearest McDonald's is 25 miles away. Why don't we just send them home to go and get their own food? And he's thinking, what were the, they're probably thinking of the logistics. What do we get caterers in? You know, then we've got to get, you know, I don't know, insurance, all sorts of stuff. It's going to be, it's logistically impossible. And all, forget that, it's financially impossible. 15,000 people, that's over eight months' wages. That's 15 grand's worth of, of money. We don't have that kind of money. This is not just logistically impossible, it's financially impossible. It is impossible. And that is the point. Jesus lets it sink in with them when they realize they can't do that on their own. So they turn back to Jesus and Jesus says, well, what have you got? There's some principles here about how we can see a miracle happen, which is what, which is what ends up happening in the end of this. What are the principles that Jesus wants to teach? And by the way, the miracles, that Jesus isn't showing off when he does a miracle. He's not like a magician saying, can you check this out? 15,000 people fed. That's not the whole point. The point is to teach the disciples a really important truth about who he is, who God is, and how we respond to him. So here's two things that you can draw out of this passage. If you want to see a miracle, here's two things you will need to do. First thing is this. Offer to God what you have. Offer to God what you have. That's what happens in verse 38. Jesus says to the disciples, how many loaves do you have? Well, they're thinking, well, no loaves. We have no loaves. So he says, go and see. So in other words, they go around and try and, uh, can you imagine them saying, has anyone got any food? Anyone got any food? 15,000 people. The only person who volunteers is a little boy. We find out in, in John's gospel that Andrew finds a little boy who's got five loaves and two fish, which he decides to give to the disciples. Can you imagine the faith of that young boy? You're never too young to make a difference. You're never too young to make a difference. You might think, I'm too young to make a problem. No, you're never too. This boy gave his lunch and we're still talking about it 2,000 years later. You're never too old to make a difference. You know, sometimes people think, oh, I know, I'm too old to make a difference. No, you're never too old to make God can use anything that we offer to him. And that's what happens in this story. The little boy offers his lunch 
five, I don't know, dobles and a couple of sardines. It's probably all he's got. But he gives it to the disciples in three ways, which I think is really interesting. He gives it willingly. He gives it generously and he gives it sacrificially. He gives it willingly. He doesn't say, should I give it to you? There might be a better place to give it. Who else should I give it to? No, he says straight away, no, no, you can have my lunch. And that's what St. Paul picks up. He talks about giving in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7. He says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The Greek word hilarion, meaning hilarious. He loves hilarious giving. That's what God loves. People go, I'm just going to give. I love it. Let's just enjoy that. And you know, my encouragement to you is give to your church. You may be here from another church. Don't give, go, don't give to this church. Well, you can give to this church as well, but definitely give to your church. And don't wait for the perfect church to start giving. You know, you probably heard that thing. Uh, the, the perfect church doesn't exist. If you find a perfect church, don't join it. Immediately it will become imperfect. Don't join that church. We are an imperfect church here, but don't wait for the perfect church to come along. Get stuck in straight away. That's what the boy does. So willingly. Secondly, generously. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6, St. Paul says this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. It's like a kingdom principle. If you offer a little, you get a little. If you are able to give more, you receive more. The more that you receive is the blessings of generosity. It's like an inbuilt thing into the fabric of humanity that when we're generous, we're blessed. Not necessarily financially or any of those sort of things, but it is more blessed, Jesus said, to give than to receive. Have you ever met a really, really, really generous person who is miserable? No, neither have I. Generous people tend to be full of joy. They love to give. Conversely, have you ever met a stingy person who's a little bit miserable? Why? Because actually the word is linked. The linked, the word miser and miserable are the same root. In other words, to to give is God knows that it does good for us. It blesses us. Because as we bless others, we receive the joy of seeing what impact that has on those other people. So he gives generously and willingly. He also gives sacrificially. There is always a cost, isn't there? You know, money, when we try to give money away, it says to us, do you really want to do that? You might end up a bit short. Someone else will be able to give. Someone, someone's more rich than you. Don't give. There's almost like a battle and a fight, I find, with my own money. And uh, the difference is, when we go through that, we come out the other side, we sacrifice, and it costs us something, we see the blessings of giving. I heard about a, a girl in her church who decided for a year, she couldn't afford much to give to the church, but she decided for the following year, she was going to not go and buy coffee out at all. Starbucks, Costa, wherever. She was able to give... Uh, 
1,500 pounds, uh, that's, that's how much Starbucks charges for our coffee, but she was able to give 1,500 pounds. It cost her, but she said it was so worth it, the joy that she was able to bring to others. And, you know, principles, people say, well, how much should I give? Um, the Old Testament, in the law, it said you must give 10%, the first 10%, not the last 10%, but the first 10% of you. And in the Old Testament, that's the way they lived. But in the New Testament, they're free. The Old Testament no longer applies. The law doesn't apply. So the disciples were in an amazing position. They were free from the law. And what did they do? I mean, they could have said, oh, we're free. Well, let's give a lot less. Give 1% at best. They didn't do that. They said, we're free, so we're going to give more. And what an amazing impact that that had on the church that started with 12 disciples, 72 And then there were more and more because of the generosity of that early church. They wanted to give because they wanted to bless. That's what Jill and I, my my wife and I, we we started off when we got married, we said we're going to give the first 10%. That's a good starting point. But since then, every year, we've tried to increase it by another 1% and another 1%. We're trying to increase it every single year. That's our goal, so that we can give away more and more. Because what we found is it's more blessed to give than to receive. And we give to the church. You know, it's easy to give to other organisations, which is great. But we always think if the only people that will give to the church are church people. Other people aren't going to give to the church. We might all give to great charities, but the only people who will give to the church are church people. So we give the first 10, 11, 12% to St. Nick's. So offer God what you have. Secondly, this is the second principle. If you want to see a miracle... Firstly, offer what you have. And secondly, expect God to multiply it. Expect God to multiply it. God is a mathematician. I don't know if we've got any mathematicians in the house. Oh, right. (laughs) Party. Excellent. Um, uh, God is a mathematician. He loves addition. He loves to add things to your life. Uh, In Acts, it talks about adding daily to the number of people who uh, were saved. Um, He, uh, in the greatest ever act of subtraction, on the cross, we're going to celebrate Good Friday, Easter Sunday. On the cross, Jesus took away your sins and my sins. That was the greatest ever act of subtraction. The The one he doesn't like is division. He doesn't love division in his body. But he specializes in multiplication. This is his absolute favorite out of all of them. Genesis 9 verse 7, right from the beginning of the Bible. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Then Acts 6 verse 7. The early church, the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Jesus taught about giving more than any other subject. He said, giving is good for you. Luke 6 verse 38, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And then look what happens in this passage. An illustration of multiplication. You've never seen a better example than this. The boy gives his five loaves, his two fish, and Jesus takes it, breaks it, and multiplies it 
to the point that 15,000 people have more than enough to eat. It says that there were 12 basketfuls left over. That's the abundance, the superabundance of God's generosity. He goes above and beyond. And can you imagine the impact of that multiplication on that little boy? Can you imagine what happened when he went home? Having gone out, his parents had sent him out. He'd gone out with his little packed lunch. He comes back, hauling back one of the baskets full of pieces, one of the 12 baskets. His parents go, what on earth happened? He says, Jesus multiplied my lunch. He would have told all his friends at school. He would have told his children. When he had children, he would have told his children's children. This boy would never have been the same again. And that's what happens when we offer what we've got, the little that we have, we allow God to multiply it. We are changed. We're never the same again. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. There was a little girl called Hattie Mae Wyatt who lived uh, near Grace Baptist Church in Philadelphia. And she had to go to Sunday school, which was very crowded. They have a very small building. And uh, she spoke to the pastor one day and said, can we have a bit more space for the Sunday school? And the pastor, a guy called Russell H. Conwell, said, we will, but we need people to give. Now, very sadly, two years later, Hattie Mae Wyatt, age of 10, died. And at the funeral service, her mother came up to the pastor and uh, gave him a little envelope with 57 cents in it. And also a note that she had handwritten Hattie Mae Wyatt, the 10-year-old girl by that stage, wrote this, this in her letter, to help build bigger so that more children can go to Sunday school. The pastor took those 57 cents. The next Sunday, he said, uh, will any, I'm, anyone want to buy one of these 57 cents? And he just said it out to the congregation. From those 57 cents, he raised $250. And actually, 54 of the 57 cents got given back. So he turned all of that money into cents, and he did it again. He said, if anyone wants to buy any of these cents, uh, and more and more people began to give. And there was this multiplication that happened. And then 26 years later, in a talk entitled The History of the 57 Cents, this minister explained that as the result of Hattie Mae Wyatt's donation of 57 cents, this had happened. Five, uh, 5,600 people were regularly in church. A hospital with tens of thousands of people were treated as a result. 80,000 young people were going through university. 2,000 people had been sent out to preach the gospel. All of this because Hattie Mae Wyatt had given what she had. And that's what God does. That's the principle of the kingdom. It's multiplication. You know, big things start small. Big things start small. HTB, when I was there, I, there was one site and four services. There's now six sites and over 12 services on a Sunday. While I was there, they planted the first church outside of London in St. Peter's Brighton. Uh, within two years, there was a thousand people going along to that church. You know, we were planted here. We were, give, you know, people generously gave so that we could come and be here. 
And now all the stuff that we're talking about is happening. Big things start small. You know, when we started here, it was just me and Jill, my wife, and Barney. Uh, he was six months old. We, we, were, we, we were the team. And um, we felt completely overwhelmed. But we felt God had called us to do it. A little bit like Andy and Katie are feeling like that with, with uh, Concord. Uh, this, is, this is Jill and I. This is when we had this. We were basically construction site in here. And we were praying, and as we would, we'd, the, literally, the, we just said yes to going to Bristol, to coming to this place. And um, I got a call from Andy Spence. Andy Spence is a friend of mine from university. But I'll be honest, we're not cl- we weren't close friends, and we hadn't spoken in about 10 years. And he phoned me up out of the blue and said, hey, Toby, I know you're at HTB, and we've just been praying. We feel like God wants a new church in Bristol. Do you think anyone from HTB will ever come and plant a church in Bristol? I said, yes. (laughs) Strangely enough, yes, we are going to come and plant a church in Bristol. But for us, that was so encouraging. For them, that was so encouraging. It was like God was saying, yep, this is it. We're going to go. Off we go. So suddenly there was two families and then there was a few more. And we got a little photo when we came to Castle Park exactly four years ago. And we did a little noise project of picking up litter. I went around uh, talking to people in Castle Park and I was trying to be a great evangelist. I went up with some kids uh, who were like smoking and I just said to them, hey guys, how you doing? You know, what's going on? And they said, oh, um, we're just hanging out. And they were a bit weird because I was talking to them and I, I was trying to make contact with them, you know connecting with them. And I said, oh, where are you from? They said, Portishead. And I said, oh, yeah, like the band. And they were like, no idea what you're talking about. I felt so old. Anyway, we moved on. We moved on. None of you have heard of Portishead either. Anyway, so um, uh, I kept on going. And then we met Lucy, who's in her 60s. And I said to Lucy, "Uh, we're picking up litter. And she said, this is amazing you're doing this. Why are you doing this? I said, because we're starting a church. And she said, oh, well, when are you starting? And I said, well, we're starting in, in a couple of months' time. Here's my email address. She came along to our opening service. She hadn't been to church in 20 years. She came along. She came to Alpha. She came back to her faith and now she's part of our team serving here. I mean, God does a lot with a little. We didn't really know what we were doing. But look at what's happened in the last few years. As I said, thousands of people. Uh, we had 732 people come to our, our Christmas services here. Uh, we're beginning to plant a church. We're trying to do as much social action as possible. We try and give out food through the food bank. Now, we're not, uh, we are just scratching the surface. But my point here is that God loves to multiply. So what could it look like? What could it look like for us here at St. Nick's if each of us, like that little boy, gave what we had? What could God do? What could God multiply to bring about change in this city? My hope is that as we all play our little part, just as we're playing our little part as a church in Bristol, that we'll see those three things. The evangelization of our whole nation, the revitalization of every single church in this city, and the transformation of society. Amen.